0: Hey, it's Laura. So I love being a student. I've never lost my love of learning and seeking and being with people who encourage my growth. Today's guest, Elena Brower, is one of those people. Elena's sort of an enigma. She's one of those people that's really hard to pin down. You may know her as a yoga and meditation teacher She's also the author of many books, including The Arts of Attention, the beloved Practice You Journal, and the follow-up Being You. She's an artist and a poet too. And yet none of these labels really encompass all of her. She's a point of clarity in a world that can feel very fuzzy at times. And she happens to be my dear friend. When we sat down, I made a conscious choice to avoid steering the conversation. I had prompts and questions, but I really wanted to see where we'd go. I ended up learning a lot about my dear friend and came away with tons of encouragement about life and parenting, about why we need elders and why we need to embrace aging and become elders ourselves There is power and joy in aging, and Elena speaks to that with such eloquence. This is one I really want to discuss with you. So I hope you'll join us in the online community at tmstpod.com. Enjoy. So, I had so many things that I wanted to talk to you about, but what kept coming back to me was that you're kind of a enigma. You're very difficult to describe or pin down because you have so many different things that you do and that you are. I think of you as a yoga teacher, a practitioner, mm-hmm. you're an author, you're a business owner you're a parent and a partner and a friend and you're an artist and Mm -hmm. a poet (laughs) and now you're a New York City expat but what I realized is I don't know a lot about your beginning and sort of what your childhood was like. Yeah
1: the first picture that comes to mind is myself at around the age of five uh, mm-hmm. having crawled up onto the counter in my bathroom, staring into the mirror, saying, Who are you? Really? <laughs> I swear. <laughs> what kid does that? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, it's so funny when I think about it now. I'm just like, wow, that was deep. And I did that all throughout my childhood. Who am I? Who are you? What are you doing here? And. <sighs> I spent a fair amount of time alone. Uh, My sister was born a year and a half after me, and she had a bunch of health issues that were very consuming of my parents' time. They Mm. did a great job. They always said goodnight to me. They always came and, you know, tended to me when I needed it, but there was a lot of time by myself, and I was very self-sufficient. You know, I read a lot, did a lot of art. The second thing I thought of (laughs) was me rearranging all of my Hello Kitty figurines and erasers in my shelf again because I was bored yeah my mom used some money that I don't think she really had to buy me drafting table and painting supplies and she would just really go full out for me when it came to art art was uh, that because she was into it or she saw that you were <clears throat> she was also into it. She was, uh, for a time, I remember she took a landscape architecture class and she rocked it. And she wanted to be a landscape architect, but I don't think she had the connections or the wherewithal. She was already doing accounting work for a bookstore, she was doing a jewelry company with a friend of hers, and then she was also doing a lot of charity work. Like, not that we had all this money to give, but she would just be present volunteering. Yeah, a lot. I remember being in places like that while she was volunteering and sort of like, you know, coloring or reading or doing whatever I could do. But she was a busy
0: lady, you know. So she was a woman of many hats, too. For like, sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And what about your dad?
1: Oh, my dad's hilarious. Um, since my mom passed seven, six, seven years ago, it was 2016, whatever that means feels like yesterday. Yeah. Yesterday yeah. I can still smell her and hear her. My dad has now reconnected with his uh f- a friend of his from when they were 11. Oh her my name gosh. is Sue. She's oh. awesome. She laughs all the time. She's really dry wit, really funny. You can tell she really cares about him, but you can also tell she doesn't take any shit from him. Yeah. And I don't have to think about him. You know what I mean? I don't have to worry about worry him. about him. <clears throat> yeah. They're good. They're good.
0: And they were, your parents yeah. were married, so you grew up with both of them?
1: Yeah, they were mm-hmm. married the whole time. And, you know, I don't think they should have been, <laughs> actually.
0: <laughs> yeah, one of those. Um,
1: but they did it. And, you know, this the, the final scene, my mother's dying day, her deathbed was really... A very beautiful, very exalted day, it felt like a birth to Mm. me. You know, having been through my son's birth, it did feel like a birth and I was very present. And I realized that all of the questions that I had as a kid led to, and and the ways in which I couldn't, I felt helpless in regards to my sister and in regards to what my parents were going through in their 20s with two children, two babies. That helplessness led me to yoga. It led me to be present, so present at her passing. Uh, yeah. So I'm so thankful because I don't feel like I missed a thing.
0: When did you decide you wanted to pursue yoga uh, more seriously or become a teacher? I mean, you went to school. I know you went, you started in a different, you were in fashion, right?
1: Oh, yeah.
0: Textiles? Yeah. I fell in love with
1: clothing in high school at some point. I had a great art teacher and learned watercolor, learned how to paint women so Mm. that I could paint the croquis for my work when I went to college because I knew I was going to do fashion design and textile design. I ended up going to Cornell and majoring in the human ecology school in the textiles and apparel department. It was awesome. And I minored in art history and was just completely smitten with my work. You know, who was in class with me, in school with me was Malia Mills, (laughs) the bathing suit designer slash clothing designer, and I got to model for her at school. I mean, looking back on it now, it was so sweet. And what can I say? It was an incredible education. I still am very dear friends with several of my friends from Cornell, and I was definitely too hard on myself at certain times, and Mm-hmm. Definitely too lax with things at certain times. I remember really being excited about the D in algebra. Like, I made it, I passed, you know. And <laughs> yeah. then really being sad about the B in chemistry. But everything was about art for me at that time. And and I think I sort of overdid the art. And then I went to work, and I, I worked for textile designers for many years. And I worked for clothing designers for a couple of years. I moved to Italy for a couple of years. And yeah. The whole time, I was always kind of in the back of my mind going, okay, so how is
0: this really helping people? At what point were you like, no, this isn't it? How did that happen? It
1: was, I was in my apartment in Italy, actually, in Turin. I had the most beautiful, oh my God, the sexiest place with all the, you know, when you think about Italian lighting, yeah, there was <laughs> those and the Italian fixtures and there was those and the Italian kitchen. Oh. Super modern, like postmodern. It was so beautiful, and I was sitting in the kitchen one day, and I was just like, "Shit, mm-hmm. I'm not in the right place." Shit, like you look shit, around, shit. and this is supposed to be so great, and this is not. <clears throat> yeah, and all I wanted to do was smoke cigarettes out the window, and and it was a very particular moment that I started hearing dinner sounds, like uh, from the courtyard, mm-hmm. all the families, and the kids, and the dishes, and all the things, and I'm just like sitting there looking at, you know. I had a broccoli and, I don't know, a bag of miso or something. And I was just like, all right, this is not going to work. Yeah. And I started doing the list, as I do, of the pros and cons. How silly.
0: And of what of you were doing or being there? Yeah. Everything. Yeah. Everything. Mm-hmm.
1: What I landed on was that I wanted to go back to school to teach children art. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So that's what I did. I got into the new school and I spent a year doing that first got several months of training and then went into the village community school and taught kids there and then went into city and country and taught kids there
0: and I was I didn't know any of that
1: I didn't I know it's it's not something I talk about so much because nobody really asks
0: so you taught art to kids and then what happened Because at some point you find yourself in the city as a yoga student, I presume first and decide you want to be a teacher. Well during the course
1: of this time at the new school, I took a yoga class at Crunch. Crunch Gym. (laughs) If you're listening to this and you know what Crunch was, tell for the people who don't know. Say the people in the back, Crunch was a really popular gym for a time. And they were one of the first to sort of welcome yoga as a practice into the gym. And I went to the gym and I took a yoga class with Cindy Lee, who ended up opening the Ohm Yoga Studio. Wow. And yeah. And
0: then thank she... God for those gyms that said, sure, we'll do a yoga class. You know, exactly. <laughs> How many people have found yoga that way? I did. Exactly. Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, I had already been practicing for a very long time. I'd, I found yoga in the late, in the early 90s, pardon
0: me. Okay, so you um, would practice like what on your own? Yeah.
1: I would okay. or I would go to class at like the yoga zone with Alan Finger <laughs> and all of his teachers, whom I still love. The classic crunch was memorable because she was very personal and she used everybody's name and there were there were aspects mm. of it that I really enjoyed. And so I went up to her afterwards, which normally I would not be doing, and I was just like, Hey, that was really incredible. Um, Where else do you teach? I would love to come and take classes elsewhere with you. Mm. And she was like, oh, I'm about to open up a studio and I'm going to do a first teacher training. Would you like to maybe apply for that? And I was like, all right, cool. And she handed me a piece of paper with a bunch of questions, which I took home and promptly answered with a whole bunch of pieces of art, which Ah. she sent back to me 20 years, 25 years later. And I still have it. Yes, I have it. It's so sweet. And I have how several old are of the you projects at this that point? I did for her. I'm 20, 28. Okay. So cute. Yeah. You know, I just had such a great time. I started teaching at home. So you took her teacher training? And... Took the teacher training, started mm-hmm. teaching at home. It was aligning for a while, and then it suddenly wasn't aligning. Her her real focus is Tibetan Buddhism, mm-hmm. and I just wasn't in that place at that time. Of course, now I'm studying with Roshi Joan Halifax at the Upaya Center down the road, and I could not even begin to tell you how much Buddhism means to me.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: But that's for another day. And so I started teaching elsewhere at a place called the Movement Salon, which – if you're listening to this and you remember it, it was so special. <laughs> Sal Anthony opened this place. He was, by the way, like in the Mafia. He's, he's passed, rest his soul. He was it, totally in the Mafia. He was like one of those sort of icons of New York. Yeah. And he opened the movement salon because he found movement, Pilates, yoga, and it meant so much to him that all he wanted to do <laughs> was open up a movement studio. So I walked in there one night. The opening night, I walked in. I'm ashamed to say this, but I'm just going to say it anyway. I got super, super stoned with my best friend, Greg. And he yeah. was like, yo, this movement place is opening up nearby. We should go over there. And I we walked over there. I had no idea what I was doing. I walked in. And I I saw the guy and he introduced himself as the owner and I was he was like what do you do I was like well I teach yoga he's like oh really I was like I should be your main yoga teacher
0: oh my <laughs> god Lena so <laughs> this is amazing okay first of all um uh, so uh, funny like mafia guy who loves movement and Pilates and opens something called the movement loves. studio and then little <clears throat> the Elena. movement salon Yes. movement
1: salon Pilates yeah. Gyrotonics and yoga. And other things, I'm sure. Anyway, we we had a little family there for a while. It was amazing. And he said yes. God bless. And we started having these gigantic classes. Like fifty people would line up on Saturday mornings for the eleven o'clock class, and then I would have Tuesday night. Had you ever taught like that before? No, I was teaching four people at at home and like (laughs) maybe thirty. I don't even. Oh, we just had such a good time though, and I took it very, very seriously. Yeah, I did. I felt the responsibility of it, and I loved it. And, you know, we built from there. From there it was several years, I would say probably three years of that. And at one point, this phenomenal dude walks into the class, and his name is Michael. And he was like, hey, first of all, I'd love to take you out to lunch. And second of all, you know, <laughs> you should not be – I wonder how much money you're making because you, you probably should be making a lot more money than you're making right now, which oh was true. Yeah. And he ended up writing the business plan for Vera Yoga, which then opened in 2002. Ugh. Right after 9-11, he secured a ridiculously low rent because of 9-11. You know, right. nobody wanted to be down there.
0: Yep. And that's
1: how it all began in 2002. We were open until 2014. When,
0: you had that studio for 12 years?
1: Yes, my love.
0: Wow! Yes. I didn't realize my, it was my, that.
1: Long. Yeah, I took on another business partner, and she and I are still partners. We're still. She still works with me on bigger projects. She does the negotiation, and she came on in the second year. She gave me a little bit of um, investment, and mm-hmm. we moved the studio from the eleventh floor at the building we were at, five eighty Broadway, down to the second floor. And made a really beautiful home. And so many yeah. people, you know, that was their yoga home for 12 years.
0: Yeah. So in that time, who became your teachers? Because I think of you, I mean, you're, to me, you're one of the best examples of someone who is a student. You're absolutely a teacher, but you're so diligent about being a student. And you talk about your teachers a lot. So, did you have teachers that came into your life at that point? Or maybe I did. talk through sort of your main ones that have evolved, rolled into your life over time?
1: Yeah. It's a little bit challenging to talk about because I was disappointed in so many cases by yeah. white men. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. In three in particular, which will remain unnamed. But what I can say is this, what I've focused on and successfully in the last, let's say, five years, are elder women teachers. Hmm. And that, I think, is
0: the best move I have ever, ever made.
1: So talk about that, teach. because
0: why do you think you were attracted to what you were attracted to? And then why, how did you instinctively go towards elder women the patriarchy.
1: Later. We we. I had no idea. Yeah, we had no idea. Right, we had no idea. Right. <laughs> had no idea. You're like, the sixties happened, who know. and then the seventies happened, and then the fucking eighties happened. <laughs> and <laughs> good point. And then, I mean, w- w- who knew? We we didn't know that we were living under this paradigm. We still barely, as a as a society, white and white passing people, barely even know that you're living under in a sea of in a pool of racism.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, it's all of a piece, right? When you you're don't know that you're living in it, you're just in the water. That how's the water? I don't know. Fucking in the water. What's water? <laughs> yeah. So that's what happened. I really thought that there were certain norms, and you know, I made all of my own mistakes as well. I'm not guiltless. At of course,
0: all. You know I was. You- I
1: was commiserating. I was enabling. I was. I was part of something. Not once. Not twice. Three times. And have learned my lesson. And now it's just all about the women. So uh, Naveen Mishan, crazy alien that she is, is a genius and really created a certain level of awareness about the body that I hadn't held before. Her Mm -hmm. student, Abby Galvin, is I consider a teacher to me. I take her classes on their platform, the studio in New York, they have online classes, and I take those with some frequency at least a couple times a month. I study with Judith Lassiter. Uh, she you had her on her own show, right? Oh, dude. That was an yeah. epic episode, actually. And at the end, that woman just made me weep. She yeah. she sort of acknowledged my effort in the world uh, of the I last know. 20 years. It was just I, I, so I listened beautiful. to that
0: one. Everyone should listen to that. It was beautiful. Thank you. Thank you.
1: It was like I could die right now.
2: Yeah, no okay. Problem.
1: I'm done. No problem. The <laughs> kid will be fine. Everything else will be <laughs> I fine. I am complete. She said that to me. I'm good. <laughs> Judith Lasseter, Roshi Joan Halifax. Mm. Huge part of my life now, um, especially since moving here almost two years ago, a year and a half ago yeah her work as as a social socially engaged Buddhist activist mm-hmm. uh, has made me aware of working with death with death and dying hero mm-hmm. um, Boga has also been a huge influence on me. Her work in the realm of business brings mm-hmm. I can't say spiritual to business. I don't want to say that because it's not true. But she brings an awareness of the ecology that surrounds any business, any commerce that you do. Yeah. So that it becomes as meaningful as anything else that you do. The energy of money changes and becomes a meaningful energy that you can then move forward into the causes that you wish
0: that's such a just massive shift that anyone can have at any time. Then in 2012 and, and in this time you get married, you have your dear son yep. and you're living in the city and you decide to sell the studio at some point and
1: There was no selling, it was just closing. There closing. No, nothing Got it. really to sell except for a mailing list, you know. That's yeah. the the peril of opening and closing a yoga studio is what is there yeah. to really actually sell. You're the teacher, so you're the thing. You're the business. I had a few other teachers who were also the business. But at a certain point, the rent got too high, and I I was suddenly starting to feel like, okay, there's some other – Next. Some other vista.
0: Maybe it's changed over time, but how do you make decisions about where – what's next? It's the pre-sober Elena and the
1: post-sober Elena. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Because decisions pre-sober were a disaster.
0: What were they pre-sober? guided by?
1: sober nothing. Who knows what anybody else said at the, in my ear at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Sober, Elena. Oh boy, do I have all my practices. I have my meditation. I have my intuition. I have my my spidey senses. Uh, mm-hmm. I have no no issues with making choices because I, my body knows. Yes.
0: Okay, then this is a good time to talk about that. I do want to talk about the pre-sober Elena, and what that was like for you and what your – because your thing was weed and what did that look like and and what were the clues that you needed to let it go and what has it been like since? Well, it
1: wasn't terrible and it wasn't like some gutter – situation really super low low Mm -hmm. it was this mid-range mediocrity (laughs) that I was operating with all the time yeah and I knew there was more I just knew I was capable of more I would drop the kid off at school James would go to to work or even prior to James I was with Bentley and you know right around nine o'clock ten o'clock in the morning I would get stoned pretty much every day
0: And And how long had you
1: been doing that for? It was a few years. I mean, let's put it this way. I got sober for two years when Jonah, zero to two, while I was breastfeeding. Yep. And then the minute I stopped breastfeeding, I was like, let's get back on that train. (laughs) And from two until, let's say, eight or nine, his age. His age, right. Let me just think for a second. I got sober in 2014 which puts him at nine, eight or nine yep. years old. And I started I started getting really sick of myself after those seven years of just like kind of mm, – not a week would go by that I didn't get stoned at least once.
2: Yep. Some
1: weeks it was one time. Some weeks it was five.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, and then I would find excuses for more.
0: What Morning, were the stories you, you had told yourself about weed? I mean, was it's, was it part of the yoga community –
1: No, No.
0: not really. No, Mm -hmm.
1: my friends were not. A couple of them are still, but it wasn't around that. It was more just like I did not want to (laughs) feel. So anything that I could do to not feel and just keep going Mm
2: -hmm. was
1: going to be what I chose. And that was why I chose to be high. And it was great. And I was functional. You know, I, I, I would get stoned a couple hours. I'd go up to the roof. I'd smoke a cigarette, whatever. It wasn't anything so terrible. But I found yeah. that when I started to talk about it, people were really thankful because they, too, were doing this stupid sabotaging of their own greatness. And yeah. nobody was really talking about weed as this kind of an
0: issue. Well, no, and it's quite the opposite. I think it's viewed as not a problem, not a big deal. And sometimes even that you you can't really get addicted to it. Although I have many friends who have become sober from it because it was absolutely an addiction for them. And you're in in that.
1: totally. And the fact is, when I started to talk about it, I was I was actually made fun of. There were people who were trying to shame me on social media. Oh, that's so terrible. But
0: really, you know it was it, for
1: me there it is when terrible. you know
0: that you're not living into your potential, it's a major spiritual death, yeah, yeah, it felt like that every single damn day
1: and when I finally got sick enough of it, I actually said something to a couple of dear friends of mine who were openly sober, yeah, and they helped me out. they were just like, all right, I'm gonna hold the space for you and I got my forty first forty days in. <laughs> Made art every day during that 9 to 11 window of fucking time and started posting on Instagram actually the art that I was making without talking about sobriety at all because I really didn't trust myself yet. Like, I didn't right. trust that I was going to be able to go through with it. Right. But when I got to 40 days, I was like, fuck it. I'm going to start sharing about this. And then over the course of between 40 days and roughly eight, nine months of sobriety, I wrote the spoken word called The Ritual of Recovery.
2: Yes. Joe to help me
1: memorize it. And then oh. I performed it at Wanderlust. And, um, you know, it was, a real, it was a real opening for a bunch of folks who needed to hear somebody talking about weed as an addiction.
0: It is, And it's not only for people who, you know, the weed is their thing. It's any for anybody who struggles with any addiction. It's one of the most beautiful things that I've ever, ever heard, truly. Plus, uh, and I tell people you. to listen to it all the time. So we will link to that. I've heard you say many times that you have turned to art to get you through something. I know that's yeah. how practice you came to be, your the journal. And so talk about that. I want people to hear how that feels to go into something that right. helps them and, and why it helps and what you were doing. And and I want to get rid of this notion that you have to be a creative person, quote no, unquote, because there's, we all are. Well,
1: I think the important thing to remember is that any bad habit that we're in, you know, mine was... Smoking weed and cigarettes between 9 and 11 in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, that was I was calling that my freedom. You know, this is my right. time. Like that's the hilarious truth of it. Any habit like that will need to be kind of replaced by something more nourishing. So it's not eating. No, because that's another addiction. It's not, I don't know. A zillion other things it could be, television or whatever. Mm -hmm. I chose to just make a creative time of it. So, my mission was to paint watercolors in my tiny little apartment in the financial district and make quotes for the watercolors Mm -hmm. and post them. Like, Mm -hmm. I thought, okay, if we now know that Instagram is really only for ourselves. Which, by yeah. the way, if you don't know that, by the way, it's true. Say that again and explain yourself. what you mean
0: because I, I want um, to do that.
1: My dear friend Pete Longworth, who teaches creative immersions, he, he sort of made me aware of this and now I understand the truth of it. When you post Instagram, Laura McCowan, when I post Instagram, we're not posting for other people. I'm not, I'm finally out of the sort of um illusion that i'm posting to help somebody else even though i know it probably will i'm just posting for myself okay this is i need to hear this this is a huge shift because that's my yearbook it's like my little autograph book my little yearbook it's mine it's mine i'm doing it for myself i want to affirm my happinesses my victories my sadnesses whatever they are it's for me if somebody else resonates yeah. with it and they're helped by it, cool. So and to that end... if someone has issue with it... Fuck them. Honestly. <laughs> really fuck them. Yeah. I've had people... Oh, God. I bumped into a gal the other day who socially shamed me on Instagram many years ago. And I was just like, hey, hey bye. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like, Bye. <laughs> I, I don't need to make peace. It's people who, who are bored to tears, who don't have anything better to do than say negative things about other people. Like, wow. And I can't fix it and I can't fix you, and I can't fix her. So I'm just going to leave everything as it is and keep posting to make myself happy.
0: Okay, because I didn't expect to go here, but it's something, I've talked to you about this before. Yes. We've talked about yes. it many times over the years, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I've taken a break, a mostly break. I've gone on a couple times to share things that I'm doing because it's still the best way I know to promote work that I'm mm-hmm. doing. But mm-hmm. I really, I still don't know if I can, tolerate it but I've never thought of it as just that I've never thought of it that way because that that changes everything of course and the fact is
1: the fact is when I started doing that back in 2014 Mm
2: -hmm. I had no
1: idea what I was doing I was just trying to get through two hours of time before it was time to go to work and do my things and start to build what I knew was going to be something for doTERRA and, yeah. and and really start to take myself seriously as a business owner.
0: Well, as a and, person, don't you think?
1: Well, yes, as a person, for sure. For sure. But for me, it had to go through. I want to I take myself seriously as a business owner so that I can see myself seriously as a person, mother supporting her child.
0: Mm, yes, I feel that. Yeah. And that's how it
1: happened, honestly. And my Instagram has been that ever since. <laughs> it's just for me. I yeah. love it.
0: It's, it's for my own delight. And you don't sit there and scroll and li- read feeds and comments and all that other stuff? No, what I'll do is on my
1: posts, uh, especially ones that are possibly incendiary,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I will go ahead and delete anyone who is a troublemaker mm. instantly. Mm-hmm. And I will, if I'm called to, I'll actually reach out to them on direct message and say, Hey, if you'd like to talk like an adult, I'm here and here's my phone number. Yeah. One out of 50 times, I'll actually get a phone call and have an experience and a, and a real communication with somebody, but mostly it's just, you know, cowardly, fearful,
0: hurting, folks, angry,
1: sad, yeah. Hurting folks. I don't, I, you know what? I, I mean cowardly, not as a judgment. I mean it as, the sadness is so deep that it turns into anger and it's only behind the keyboard that's what i mean by cowardly i don't i'm not judging like people are fucking sad and i feel it sometimes very deeply in my body mm-hmm. and i know that it's true and i don't judge it i feel like we you know we sort of have a responsibility to talk about our own experiences of that level of sadness and grief and Hopefully, it will be of use.
2: Hi, I'm Michael. I'm the executive producer of the podcast. At TMST, we're passionate about having conversations that bring us together and help us stoke our love of life. That's why we created a dedicated site for the show. It's free, it's not a Facebook group, and we aren't mining your data to target you with ads. So check it out. And while you're there, please join TMST Plus, our paid membership group. TMST Plus members will play the critical role in keeping this going and ad-free There are no corporations backing us. There's no advertisers. I mean, it's really up to us to pull together and make it happen. You can make a one-time contribution, or you can join our monthly program, where you can help shape the show, hear the complete unedited interviews, and join regular online experiences with Laura. But know this, you can make a huge difference right now for as little as $10 a month. You can find the link in the show description. And then please head over to tmstpod.com right now and join us.
0: So what's happened since you got sober? What's it been like? Like honestly, it, the positive, any honestly, negative, I, any anything? I don't have any
1: negatives. I instantly, after those forty days were over, and I got through the like hard times of like rocking back and forth in my apartment mm-hmm. after making my little art project every day, mm-hmm. and just kind of uh really, I really went through it. I really went through it. It wasn't heroin. But it was my own version of, ugh, really hard days. Yeah, withdrawal. And, um, yeah.
0: Sadness and, and grief um, and all of
1: it. And sadness and grief, yep. My friend was gone. My friend the weed. My friend mm-hmm. the cigarettes. Everything was gone. Since then, I took, as I said, I started just taking myself seriously as a business owner. The studio was doing as well as it could have been doing. And I. that's when I chose to close it. A few months after I got sober, hmm. which was great. And the doTERRA business had started and really took off once I got yeah. sober because yeah. I had those hours in the morning when I could dedicate myself to learning as much as I could about the oils and the efficacy, growing my understanding of how we must be relating to the plants of the earth growing my understanding of their the company's practices of only smallholder farmers and you know all the things that really mattered to me i didn't want to align myself with a company that was doing unethical growing or harvesting or distilling practices i wanted to i wanted to work with the best and once i determined that that was true it just started to fly and the business Wait. been my main source of income and i love it so 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 much
0: so it, something you said in there, you know, you got back those two hours, but I feel like those two hours, the start of your day to, because mm. it wasn't just two hours, it was the entire day. Your entire it day was really changes. two hours, though. Like, it,
1: yes, it does change the whole day. But those two hours being stoned was empty, you know, empty calories.
0: Yeah. <laughs> It, you know, it, but it it's changed like the trajectory of your life, too, something. because if those two hours are meaningful and productive and it's the start of your yes. day, the rest of your day is different. Right. And sure. I mean, we I'm assuming you would get agitated and frustrated. And I i mean, I would when I wasn't drinking or using whatever yes. substance. And so you're just different with everybody and different with everything. That's right. What about relationships? Are they different? Are you different in them? For sure. Right around
1: that time, I started to tell the truth about everything,
0: mm. rather
1: than just a few things. How did you figure things. out how to do that? Handel Group—they really helped me a lot. I have to say, I don't—I I don't mean to hand my power off. I know that I did it. Yeah. So, but you had, listening coaches. That thought, you had but, coaching. But incredible coaching, just incredible. And they're still rocking it to this day. When I have an issue. If I need help, I know exactly who I can call. And their whole paradigm is how can we be telling the truth all of the time? Not more of the time, not some of the time, but all of the time. So it got me into a a groove with my kid who was, you know, from three and a half is when I started working with those coaches until I got sober at nine when he was nine. That whole time I was being coached to ask him every night what I could have done better that day. Oh, I love and this when kid, you told me that. Oh, my God. This kid is a rock star. He's, he's just – he's a full-grown man who knows exactly who he is and exactly what he wants, and he gets mad respect from me and yeah. apologies when I screw up. And he gets asked what I could do better right now, like, all the time. I'm no hero. He's no hero. But we are telling the truth to each other. There isn't anything hidden between us. He knows that if he gets into any trouble or his friends get into any trouble, that he can call me at 3 a.m. If he is not at home, my phone will be on and there will be no questions asked. And if I get the truth, he will not get in trouble. Right. There's no punishing in this house. There's no grounding in this house. There's please tell me the truth. Mm -hmm. You will not get in trouble if you tell me the truth. And we can make good choices
0: together. So what's the repeat what you practice every night with him? What could I have done better today? And does he, does he get sick of the question? Does he answer it?
1: Yeah. I don't ask it every single night now. I barely put him to sleep myself, you know, anymore. He's 15. Right.
0: (laughs) He's up later than you are.
1: Yeah, by a lot. But I totally ask him every now and again at certain intervals I'll say hey is there anything that you know you need anything you're afraid to talk about anything mm-hmm. you want to ask um, and of course James his stepdad is here even though we're not married we consider James his stepdad and yeah um, they have a very very tight relationship and there, are a lot of things that Jonah is very lucky to have James for because he can't talk to his father about but he can talk yeah. to his stepdad
0: well, and, and he's there, you know, when he's yeah. with you, he's there, right? Right. So, so yeah,
1: there's, there's, all of those relationships have gotten better since sobriety. I've gotten so much, so much more in sync with Jonah's dad. We're really, mm. we're really good friends. We really are supportive to each other. We communicate a lot. My parents, we cleared up a lot. She died in January of 2016, so she got me for a year and some sober, mm. which was her dream. You know, I, I didn't hide from them either. And then as a result, my dad got sober, which really? was cool because my dad, my dad was a total stoner, stony town. Oh. Yeah. I mean, we used, See, to, that's we used to get stoned at family gatherings. It was very fun. But, you know, at a certain point, it's, it's, it's not, not helpful. All right. Mm. So. But it was fun. <laughs> yeah.
0: I know. I get it. I drank with my parents, and sometimes it was it was fun, and sometimes it was actually helpful for us. For Overall, sure. was that helpful? No. Loosen it up. <laughs> was right. it necessary, necessary? No. But it helped us to connect because mm-hmm. we couldn't in other ways. So, okay, so we're drawing towards present time, and y- your mom passes away in 2016, and you went to you started to paint again. Yes. And that became yeah. Practice Heal. Well, what happened
1: was the my publisher called and was like, hey, there's a hole in our offerings, and I think that you can create what I'm picturing. Mm. Cool. Okay, what is it? Well, it's a journal, and, <laughs> you know, it's illustrated, and it's going to be really beautiful. And I started to see... Kim Kranz's illustrations yeah. in this journal. And I was like, Kim Kranz, let's get Kim Kranz. And he was like, no, 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 no. I've been to your house and I've seen you painting. And yeah. I want it to be your painting or no deal. And I was like, oh, for fuck's sakes. And my mom had just died like two months prior. I would just come home from a long trip that uh, was previously planned to Australia, which was a really good medicinal getaway for my kid and me. And I was doing some work, but not a lot. Mm-hmm. I came home, and he was like, all right, let's get this started. And on the phone with him, I look over at my vision board for that year. Strangely enough, I had the word practice. I had cut it out from Oprah's magazine. And then I had the word you in chalk that I had written on a chalkboard at my friend's house, taken a picture of it, and put it on my Instagram. I had the two printed next to each other. And I was like, maybe we should call it practice you. (laughs) And my publisher was like, oh, that's a really, it's kind of a neat title. And I go into the computer and I put in practiceyou.com. And no one had it. And I was like, how the fuck is this open? Honestly, how how does nobody have this? So we got it right away. And I started painting every morning from 5 to 7 a.m. From that point, it was springtime, March. That was when I was living on 79th and Park and... It was like a really sun-filled apartment. Morning light was coming in, and I was with my mom basically in yeah. spirit. You know, she was there, and she was so happy to be with me. I was silently painting while everybody slept, and the pages started to materialize. And then, first they were paintings, yeah. and then I would go to over to my library. I have one bookshelf always, and if it gets too full, I have to empty out the books that I won't be reading again. And it keeps me in a nice, tight situation, even though I have a small pile under my bed. And I went over to the bookshelf, and I started pulling books. And the quotes and prompts began to emerge. And that's how the book was
0: created over the course of about five months. I have it right here. It is, it is one of the oh, most bless. beautiful books. It f- feels beautiful. It's, it's very special. And you can feel that your mom... I've heard you talk about your mom enough. You can feel that she's in this, in this yeah. art, in this book.
1: She's very much around. I started painting real paintings again after I hadn't done so since high school. Oh, my gosh. And now I'm actually selling paintings. You And are? making gicle <laughs> prints. Oh, my God. I sold my fourth one yesterday. So excited! Okay, I need one. And, so um, Yeah. Uh, if you go to Elena Brower.com and forward slash art, you'll see them. Um, there are some that aren't on there yet, but most of them are there and I'm making Gicle prints of all of them. One of the finest printers in, in this town <sighs> who does fine uh. art printing. And those are going to be coming too. And the art pro- proceeds from my art are what I donate. Mm. to to my causes on the inside and girls on fire leaders like that's that's something that I'm re- really very committed to every month so that's also fun because it really is for such a good reason
0: right let's sort of end the tale of Elena <laughs> with mm. did you ever think you're going to move out of New York never
1: no that was never in the cards you were a lifer. I had no idea
0: Yeah, I was happy to be
1: there. I didn't it was like a vortex for me. I was I had, um, I had a nice sort of command of myself in that town. And I was in all the good habits, working out, going for walks, you know, making Mm -hmm. great food, all the things. But at a certain point, uh, in March of 2020, it became very clear that it was going to get to be very dicey. And because I could and I recognize that a lot of folks don't have that sort of luxury. Mm-hmm. I had worked really fucking hard until that point, And I realized that this is one way that I can actually take advantage of my my work and, and
0: go. I don't right. Need to and the fact that anywhere. you work for yourself and all of yeah. that, you can really be exactly. anywhere. So exactly. you moved to... Yeah, we, we
1: just rented a place here in Santa Fe and um, because my best friend had just moved here a month prior. She was mm-hmm. like, why don't you just come here and rent a place? It's so pretty. You'll love it. So we were like, all right. And I got these three one-way tickets. So we went and we landed and we got into the house that we rented and we were all of us at the same time just like, oh, my God.
0: Really? Where we, are we? We need to be here. Yeah. We need to be here. It's so wild because I thought you were one of the – many friends I have in New York that are lifers that I thought would never ever leave and you did and it makes so much sense though it makes sense that you are where you are and Mm -hmm. because it it is such a it's a place that feels so connected to the things that you care about and so the last thing I want to talk about is you you turned you had a big birthday yes (laughs) and you were so excited about it that you were so happy to turn 50 because you joined the elders Yes,
1: yes, I feel that. very honored to be fifty. I'm not ever going to hide my age. I promised my mother I would never put anything in my face <laughs> or dye my hair, so I'm keeping that promise, and you will see all the wrinkles coming out of my face. Oh and hopefully. it's gonna happen. It's happening already, yeah, i in reading authors like Stephen Jenkinson. Mm-hmm. and even Tokopa turner to some extent, both of whom studied with Martin Prechtel. I think the gift of age is the gift of having stories to tell. Mm-hmm. The gift of having stories to tell is the gift of having wisdom to share. And that is a gift that keeps on giving long, long after you're gone. Yeah. And I'm really, really psyched to be older. It was the year that I finally started my own mentorship platform, which had always scared me. Mm -hmm. I love it so much. It's like the best of everything that I do all in one place. It makes sense for all of us. It's not expensive. So people can be in there month over month. And it's really easy for me. I am so inspired to put content in there and I do it all the time. If you read Stephen Jenkinson's book, Come of Age, which I would recommend to all hu- human beings, he points out the fact that we have banished older people to homes. Yep. We put them out of our home, banished them to other homes where other people can take care of them. It's nothing but a problem. I,
0: I, I feel ashamed of that societally. Yeah, it's because one of the saddest things that I know of. When, ever, when When you think about it, it's almost too much to think about. If you read his book, what you start to see is
1: that one fact that we don't have elders anymore, that the older people are not considered elders, they're considered a problem to be put out somewhere else far away from here, taken care of by someone else.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He considers that to be one of the biggest scourges of our time. Yeah. I think yeah, I think he's right, up there with racism, up there with the patriarchy mm. right there and if you if you start to consider yourself an elder in training and you take yourself seriously, so will others, and they will mm. start to see your example of what it means like to cross over into elderhood, God. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I've there are people teachers whom I respect who are like, "Oh, age is nothing but a number. I don't I don't tell anyone my age. Don't tell anybody your age." No, 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 no. No, 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 because then they'll start to think of you differently and it's like, "No, actually, I'm going to always tell people my age. I'm going to proudly grow
0: older and wiser." I always think of you in that way. You appreciate your trajectory. It's so affirming to watch. I had Cheryl Strait on the first episode and there was this, I I remembered a time when she was interviewed by someone and this was years ago and the person said to her, you have become such a, a powerful woman and she said, thank you, I am. And I about Mm. fell off my chair because we just don't hear that, right? And so what if we Mm. started doing that with getting older?
1: Yeah, I mean, that getting older is wrapped up in that.
0: It is wrapped up in that, that's right.
1: You know, I'm powerful, you're powerful. There's no reason for you to ever shy away from that statement. Take that as a a real lesson from her, from Cheryl. You know? Thank you. I'm powerful.
0: I'm so glad you brought that up. I wouldn't have brought it up. But yeah. it's it's a it's also another massive shift, you know, that just the way we talk about getting older is so awful. I'm getting older. This is happening. Uh this and trying to fight it and I notice things in my body that I don't like. I notice things in my face that I don't like.
1: Dude. Dude. Body's <laughs> changing massively. I the, What I have to do to keep the body that I want is a mm-hmm. lot. Mm-hmm. It's a lot. And, and And it's mostly in the last year. Got a bunch of gray hair. Seeing all the wrinkles. The body's changing. And every day it's work to allow – this to be true how do you work with that i just tell myself i love myself all the time I, i'll kiss the backs of my hands like edith eager says to do no go ahead <laughs> i love you right and when you say that to yourself and you kiss your own hands it's what judith Lasseter. teach it's what every single woman that i love teaches it's Know yourself and truly, truly connect and love yourself. Because if you do that, nothing nothing can stick for too long. Like I can look in the mirror and be like, wow, I wish I had the belly that I had five years ago. Mm-hmm. Like it's so much more work to get back to that. But look at this beautiful body. And then I'll walk around naked and I'll mm-hmm. catch myself naked in the mirror and I'll be like, wow, I really look good. I'm 50 years old, you know, when there isn't a waistband <laughs> or a dress zipper, I look amazing. <laughs> Nothing can stick for too long. It's no, a great way no. of putting it. That's it. You, and that's something actually that I learned with the Handel coaches, which is, you know, how long would you like to carry this feeling? Oh, how long? You want a minute? You want ten minutes? What? You want a day? How long?
0: God. Yeah, <laughs> that's a life changer. Yeah. Like, wait, I can choose. Yeah, <laughs> what I think we'll end there. I could keep going forever, but I love you so much. I Same. Just I think of you so often and it always makes me feel stronger and mm. remember who I am. They're definitely one of those people where I go, okay, what would Elena say? <laughs> what would Elena wow. tell me right now? Wow. Because you are you are that friend. You're you're a dear friend and you're also a mentor to me and you've straightened me out more than once. So mm. I love you for all of that.
1: I love you more, and I'm here for all of it anytime you need straightening because I learn every single time you and I talk, too, for sure. Thank you,
0: darling. Love you. Love you, too. Thank you for hanging out with us today. We want every episode of Tell Me Something True to give you something you can use in your life. We also don't want there to be any barriers between us. That's why we built our own online community. It's free. It's not Facebook. And you can head on over to tmstpod.com to connect with folks around this episode. Also, have you noticed there aren't any ads on TMST? That's by design. We want to keep the show and our digital spaces ad-free but that's a goal we can only accomplish if we work together. And that's where you can make a huge difference. TMST is being built as an ad-free, subscriber-driven project. The subscribing members will play the critical role in keeping this going and keeping it ad-free. There are no corporations backing us, no sponsors, so it's really up to us. And the good news is, folks are signing up. Thank you so much to all of you who have come on board for this very unusual way to do things. You can join them when you make a one-time contribution or join our monthly program. We have cool opportunities for you to help shape the show, hear the complete unedited interviews, ask our guests questions before they're on and connect with other TMST folks. I cannot stress this enough. You can make a huge difference for as little as $10 a month. So head on over to tmstpod.com right now. Tell Me Something True is engineered and mixed by Paul Chufo. Michael Elsesser, and I dreamed up this show and we're looking forward to joining you online and next time at Tell Me Something True.